your shot at $1,000. Now, text the keyword BANK to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply. That's BANK to 200-200. WXDX-FM, Pittsburgh. Well, the Penguins have been eliminated for exactly three days. And I see Twitter polls by media guys who don't know puck from suck. And it's like, who should be traded? Latang, Brassard, or Kessel? Wow. How about none of the above? And I hear the wailing and gnashing of teeth. And the battle cry is, what has to be done to fix the Penguins? How do we fix the Penguins? Yo, worry about inside backer with the Steelers. That's a bigger problem, and at least you're kind of qualified to talk about that. The Penguins won Stanley Cups, two to be exact, then lost the playoff series after winning nine in a row, and yeah, a couple guys were disappointing. But do you really think they need to burn it down and make a big trade? You just need to tweak, and you probably don't have to tweak it very much. If you started next season with the exact group of forwards you have available now, that'll be one of the best groups of forwards in the league. All the Pens need is a defenseman or two, and they need to get healthy. That's it. That's the list. People are just too demanding with the Penguins, especially in light of their success. I've said it before, and I say it again. The Pirates get infinite friggin' patience even as they rob this town blind. The Steelers could underachieve forever. Please, all I ask is you apply the same standard, especially if you're some low-level employee with one of the other teams who made nothing, did nothing, knew nothing, and now you're on Twitter acting like you know something about anything. You don't, and you're broke besides. Sick Again, brought to you by 84 Lumber. Helping you build the right way since 1956. Check out those videos I put on my webpage of this Jimmy Sakurai, Mr. Jimmy playing Led Zeppelin. He looks so much like Jimmy Page. Even when you look at his face and you see he's uh, Japanese, you still say, okay, but he kind of looks like Jimmy Page. Uh, Getting back to, to my commentary, the Pirates are 21 and 16 and the glee is palpable. Hey, these guys are pretty good. And maybe they are, but probably they aren't. Uh, The weekend coming is a watershed for the Pirates. Kutch is back. Attendance is down by half from last year per game and by almost two-thirds from 2015. If people don't show up this weekend, they might never show up. I got to get back to the stats of Brian Giles because they are just amazing. And uh, we always get taught that the numbers matter more than anything, and especially in baseball. In baseball, the numbers are sacred. That's what we're told, right? Tell me I'm wrong. We say the numbers in baseball are sacred. Okay. Brian Giles, Pirates' all-time leader in OPS, 1.018, ahead of Ralph Kiner at 971. And below him, Kai Kai Kyler, who you never heard of. George Grantham, who I never heard of. Paul Wehner. Jason Bay at number six. 
ahead of Willie Stargell. Okay, on base percentage, Brian Giles, 426, ahead of Archie Vaughn at 415. E. Smith at 415. I don't even know the guy's first name. I'm going to guess, I'm going to click on it now. Either Eddie or Elmer. And it is Elmer. I got it right. When did he play for the Battle and Bucks? Oh, 1886 through 1901. That explains me not knowing I was just a kid then. And then slugging percentage, number one, Brian Giles, 591. Followed by Kiner, Stargell, Jason Bay, that man again. Kai Kai Kyler, who we've got to give a second look at. Uh, Dick Stewart, Dr. Strange Club. And then Barry Bonds, Dave Parker, the aforementioned George Grantham, whoever that was. So if the numbers are sacred, the best pirate of all time is Brian Giles. They should put up a statue of him with that huge head and chin and forehead. Maybe they could just build a normal-sized statue and inject it with something to make it bigger. Let's go to Grant in the car. Grant, you're on with Double M. How's it going, Mark? Great. Hey, so I just wanted your thoughts. I don't know if you touched base on it earlier. Uh, the Washington Capitals statement out to the Pittsburgh Penguins organization on the NBCSports.com. I didn't see it. What did they say? More or less, it was like a uh, a nod to the Pens. How you know they knocked us off our throne, and uh, it was their it was their turn. So um, it was I, it classy. Was it gloating? I didn't see it. Uh, it was classy. It wasn't kind of like a um, in your face. I mean, they did state that um, they hate you know Mario Lemieux and Sidney Crosby as much as their organization. Yeah, it sounds like kind of something I wouldn't care about. Anything else? Not at all. Thank you for the call. <laughs> you know, I. Why do I care what the Caps think of the Penguins after beating the Penguins? That's all that matters is the Caps beat the Penguins. By the way, Mia Khalifa, the porn star that roots for the Capitals, she uh, tweeted a picture of herself today at the Hockey Hall of Fame. I knew that's what it was. They have a replica of the Montreal Canadiens dressing room, the old one, you know, the, the 50s one, at the Hockey Hall of Fame, and she was sitting there wearing goalie pads. I mean, it was easy to see. You could beat her through the five-hole, and I think many have. Let's go to Zach in Catanning. Then again, I mean, who knows? If she gets in the goalie stance, maybe she'd be more airtight than I think. Let's go to Zach in Catanning. Zach, you're on with Double M. Hey, how you doing, Mark? Great. Uh, I just want to comment about how, uh, you know, all the flack that the Penguins are catching for, you know, not winning the Cup again. Uh, I mean, well, I think they're catching flack from people who – in the media who rarely cover hockey, just wanted to get it over with, and now they want to bash him because the Penguins won, unlike their team. And I, I the, the fans gave him a standing ovation after they lost at PPG on Monday, and those are the people that matter most. Right, I couldn't agree more. And it's just like, I mean, you know, the other, the other guys on the other team are getting paid too. I mean, you can't win it every year. Caps have a good team. And right. in, in the 19 playoff games that were contested between the clubs these past three years, these past three series, uh, the Penguins won 10 games, the Caps won nine. It was as close as close could be. In fact, the Capitals outscored the Penguins in those 19 games, 52-50. When I saw that, I was thinking, wait a minute, damn it, those two empty net goals in game five. Not that there's any award for winning cumulative after three series. 412 
333-9939. In just, uh, you're going to like my rant at uh, 5 o'clock. Did you ever go to watch like a friend or just happen to be wandering by when a game is going on, like recreational sports, like that hockey, softball, whatever, and the players have their names on the back of their jerseys? Or they're wearing like a, a crazy number, like a deck hockey player wearing number 66. I don't like it. And I'll go into detail about that at 5 o'clock. Also, uh, you know, that, they have that, what's that RSL, that Recreation Sports League? Or is it PSL, Pittsburgh Sports League? The PSL, I guess it is. They have all kinds of leagues. And on the south side, I, I drive past, I used to go past all the time. Boy, I was just thinking of going to the Pittsburgh Steak Company. I miss the Pittsburgh Steak Company so much. No restaurants replaced it. None. I go to Chupka's. I go to the bottle shop. Nothing has replaced the Pittsburgh Steak Company. It makes me sad to think about it. It really does. I enjoyed the food and everything about that place so much. Anyway, when I'm driving on the south side, there's like a uh, a basketball court and an athletic field uh, just off East Carson. And I'll tell you what, it looks like some pretty good basketball games go on on that court. And it's busy sometimes in good weather. You'll see like, you know, 20 guys, two teams playing, two teams waiting to get on. And uh, But on the athletic field, there's a, a kickball league? Is that possible? Like, you know, like, like, like softball, except you're kicking a big ball? Is that an official league? There's actually a kickball league? Wow, that's crazy. I should have a tournament, Monsters of Kickball. Oh, wait, I'm just told Tim Benz. Plays like every sport in the Pittsburgh Sports League. Well, he's an athlete. 412-333-9939. Josh Show at the bottom of the hour, 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark. I think you're absolutely hilarious. It's an acquired taste. You, you have the answer, Mark. Thank you. Wait, I wasn't done insulting you. The X at 105.9. I got a couple tweets. One guy with the name I can't repeat. On the air says, I played kickball in the PSL this past fall. My on-base percentage wasn't as good as Giles, but I digress. And then Tyler tweets, I paid PSL kickball at that field on Southside. Perfect spot for post-game beers. You'd be shocked how seriously some people take it. Borderline brawls. I got an idea. I'm going to need some information by Twitter. Maybe Tyler and the guy with the obscene name, could, could tweet some information. When does the PSL have its kickball league? It reads here like it's the fall. Is it a fall and spring league, maybe two separate leagues, one fall, one spring? And if I had a kickball tournament to raise money for, like, the Lemieux Foundation, how many people would get teams? I'd do that. I'm sure I could get a free field somewhere. I'm sure there's got to be who umpires kickball. That would be embarrassing to say that you umpire kickball. Good God in the goose fat. Let's go to Fred in Bridgeville. Fred, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Hello, Fred. I want to weigh in on uh, McCutcheon a little bit here. I, I compare him to uh, one of my favorites of all time, Andy Van Slyke. I mean, their numbers are comparable. I believe... Okay, okay. if that's all that Andrew McCutcheon is, as good as Andy Van Slyke, and I'm not dismissing that, then, then, well, like I said a bit ago, he was the catalyst during a rare period of pirate success, an oasis 
in the middle of of just awful play by the uh, Pittsburgh Baseball Club. But yeah, that that's probably about right. Although he did win an MVP. Andy Van Slyke never won an MVP. I would more likely compare McCutcheon. Shut up, shut up, shut up. Let the guy that they turned on the radio to hear talk when he's talking. I would more likely compare McCutcheon to Dave Parker like I did earlier. How about you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But I, I was just comparing both center fielders. Uh, and Van Slyke did play in the air with Bonds. He wasn't going to win an MVP with Bonds there. He but just, he, he, Andy Van Slyke just wasn't going to win an MVP, period. He wasn't that valuable. Kind of valuable. If there was a KVP, kind of valuable player, he'd probably have won it more than once. Let's go to John in Cecil Township. Help, Cecil, help. John, you're on a Mark Madden show. Hey, Mark. What's up? Hello, Mark. I got a question for you about the D. You said a couple times there you mentioned a D pinching in and getting into some trouble there against Caps. Right. Can you explain to me a good time to pinch and when not to, and I'll just hang up? Uh, just hang up. Anyway, moving on. No, actually, that's an interesting uh, thing. Uh, I think that he should pinch if they feel there's a 50% chance of better to keep the puck in and create a situation where possession could be gained. But if it's less than that, there's a danger going to, you know, ship it past you and odd man break. And that happened far too many times against the Penguins, including in the series against Washington. Now, when you trail in the third, then you got to start pinching at 40-60 even 30-70, but ordinarily I'd say you pinch at 50-50. And when you pinch, and this is something I felt the Penguins got away from, when it was working, they go to pinch with their bodies and kind of go through the other guy and the puck. So you're not looking to just you know get control of the puck. The pinching guy, the D, isn't looking to get control of the puck. He's looking to you know spill it back in the zone, keep it in so a center or winger supporting the play can get the puck. I saw too many defensemen go in just try to pick the puck out with their sticks. And that is not the uh, proper way to pinch in my estimation. Unless, of course, you get the puck. Then it's fine and dandy. A tweet from Troy. I think there were a few sessions we played at Highmark Stadium. Bar inside for after. Perfect. I'll play in the kickball tournament if you set it up. You play kickball at Highmark Stadium? That's pretty nice for kickball. Then again, the artificial turf field. That's uh, sport turf, I think. That'd be perfect. Let's go to Ron and Beaver County. Ron, you're on with the super genius. Listen, I got a, I, I was so aggravated this morning listening to the B team, okay? They're practically begging people to go to this series with the Giants, okay? Oh, no, I, didn't, I, I, I listened a little bit. I didn't hear that at all. I'll tell you what I did hear, though. I happened to be listening to the to the game last night, driving from, excuse me, uh, the game a couple, oh, yesterday. No, I got told this. I was listening two nights ago, but yesterday was an afternoon game. I got told this got said. Uh, during that rally in the ninth, Greg Braun was yelling, how can you not go see this team this weekend when they come home to PNC? Oh. <laughs> and that sounds embarrassing, but he works for the Pirates. And I'm sure well. he was told to say stuff like that because, bruh, they are in full-blown attendance crisis. Their attendance is down on average by half from last year. That is crisis. And I don't care about the weather. Hey, if the B team doesn't care about the Penguins' fatigue, 
I don't care about the weather. That weather, that's a lamer excuse than the Penguins fatigue. All right, now, wait, now, wait. That young punk that's on the show, okay? Well, no, I, I think they're all pretty talented. I don't want to, you know, name-call their, their, their hosts. I just think they're misguided by the servitude they've entered with their flagship teams. But anyway, okay, he's comparing McCutcheon leaving the Pirates with Albert Pujols leaving the Cardinals, all right? And I tried to call, all right? Cause well, i, I, I got to be honest, that sounds about right. Now, wait a minute, though. Wait a minute. Isn't that apples and oranges? Because St. Louis tries to win every year. No, no, no. It's, okay. it's apples and oranges from the standpoint that St. Louis will invest resources to replace the Pujols. And the exactly. Pirates do not. Yeah, but, but in, terms of, in terms of the caliber of player and what he meant to the team, I mean, Pujols is, is better. Better stats, better career, better everything. But, uh, but, but, but the Pirates felt a loss when Kutch left, although it's hard. Actually, maybe not because Dickerson is outperforming Kutch. Was for a while Dickerson far outperforming Kutch, but Kutch has had a pretty good run here lately. Let's go to Jesse in Philadelphia. Jesse, I wish I had your girl. Hello, Jesse. Hey, Mark. Yep. I had a question about these um, these Steelers draft picks that we signed today. The running back from uh, North Carolina State. Yeah, we're not going to uh, talk about him. Let's go to Grant and Wexford. Yeah, let's talk about the what, what the fifth round pick. That's good radio. Let's go to Grant and Wexford. Grant, you're on with Double M. Oh, thank you. Uh, so, should uh, Tom Wilson? You mentioned you mentioned the other day. Tom Wilson hasn't apologized. Uh, Reese for breaking his jaw. Oh, I don't want him so to apologize. I want him to call. I want him to call and see how he is. I want him to inquire after uh, Zach Aston Reese's health. So should Scott Stevens should he have inquired on Victor Kozlov when he checked him in 1995 against the Wings? Should he have inquired with Ron Francis, Paul Correa? Was, was was, were they illegal hits? Were they illegal hits? Were they penalized? No, none of those were illegal hits. That's a little different than I think, and it was a different time. All right, thank you, sir. Thank you, you jerk. Up next in studio, Josh Showy. Very exciting. 105.9 The X. This is Phil Kessa of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden, the best hockey talk on 105.9 The X. Joining me now in studio from the Athletic.com, it's Josh Showy. Josh, um, let's get right to the roster decisions that are going to have to be made this offseason. If Daniel Sprong is going to be a regular, as the general manager says, who will the Penguins get rid of and who will they drop down the depth chart? Well, Brian Rust is the name that becomes kind of interesting to me, Mark, when we talk about Sprong. Uh, we heard Rutherford say it. Sprong's on the team next year. Well, he's a right wing. So is Patrick Hornquist. So is Phil Kessel. So Brian Rust is due a pretty significant raise this offseason. He's a restricted free agent, and he's a valuable guy. So do you want to pay a fourth liner a lot of money, or do you want him to plan his off wing, which he can do, Better than most wingers, but, but he's not great at it. No, he's not. So, you know, they like Rust a lot, as they should. He's a good player, but he strikes me as a classic case of a situation where if you want to get a defenseman, which they do, do you trade a good player to get a good player? Maybe he's that guy. Wouldn't shock me. Yeah, because there have been offers for him in the past, correct? Uh, teams uh, inquired as to him when it looked like the Penguins might have to leave him unprotected in the expansion draft. Uh, that is correct. He, he's a guy that teams like, and you know what part of it is, Mark. He scores a lot of big goals in playoff games, and those guys, you know, they always see their uh, portfolios a little improved because of that. That's just the way it is. Everybody wants a piece of those guys who score big goals, and he is that guy. He always has been. They like him. They don't want to lose him, but um, they're pretty stacked on the right side. That's just the way it is. 
And if they're going to promote Daniel Sprong to a top nine role, and he has to be in the top nine mark. He, you know, I heard you saying this on your show yesterday. He is not a fourth line style player, no, no question. That makes he, he would hurt more than help in yeah, that role. I think he would. So that I'm not saying they're going to trade Rust. I'm saying that it wouldn't shock me if they would. He, he certainly is is in that category. I think. Now is Aston Reese going to be a regular as well? Oh, I think he is, and of course he'll be on the left side, and and he strikes me as more of a you know a bottom six guy, and that's not a knock. I I, I just don't know that his ceiling is as high as a guy like Daniel Sprung. Uh, he strikes me as a guy who is going to be a very good uh, third line left winger who might uh, develop into a good power play guy, and maybe he'll be more than that. It could be he might be the third wheel on a very good line in the future, a la Chris Kunitz, uh, somebody. Of that ilk, but yes, I fully expect Sprong and Aston Reese to be on the team next season in October. What went wrong in the series against Washington? Was it fatigue? Was it injury? I thought a lot of negative factors came together, and Washington played well. Yeah, I mean, it was all of the above, I suppose, but when I look at the Penguins, and especially how they played this season, how they were constructed, they were built to win games because of their offense. And they just didn't score enough against Washington. That to me is, you can blame Matt Murray all you want. And Braden Holtby outplayed him. There's no question about that. And you can blame Chris Letang. And he had a really bad game five. No question. But the fact is, the Penguins, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they scored more than three goals in any game the entire series. Maybe they had four one game, but they just couldn't really get the offense going against Washington. And I think that's a tribute to the job that Barry Trotz and Todd Reardon did with Washington's defensive game plan, and, and I do think fatigue absolutely played a role to some extent. I do think the Penguins were running out of gas. I do think Malkin and Kessel were banged up, so you add it all up, and that hurts. But the Penguins were not constructed to win games 2-1 this season, Mark. That's just not who they are. They're not a disciplined enough defensive team, really, to play that kind of game. As we, you know, all the odd man rushes, it was fitting that the, the season ended on a breakaway in overtime. Who gives up a breakaway in overtime? The Penguins, that's who. Because they're just a kind of a cavalier, freewheeling team, and those teams need to score goals, and they didn't against Washington. Matt Murray played okay. Braden Holtby played great. That might have been the series right there. Yeah. I, honestly, these teams were so evenly matched, and they always have been. And the fact is, in the last two years, Braden Holtby wasn't horrible, but he played okay. And Matt Murray two years ago and Marc-Andre Fleury last year absolutely outplayed him. It probably is that simple. I, I don't think Murray was quite as bad as some people want to make it out. I didn't. No, no I thought he played okay, but, yeah. but he was not making the big save. He wasn't. And and boy, Braden Holpe was terrific. I, I have to give that guy a lot of credit. He's always been a good goalie. He's always been talented. He has never really been able to stand up against the Penguins and shut the door. And you know what? He did it. Uh, I, I give him all the credit in the world. That guy's a big-time goaltender. And uh, yeah, Murray was not horrible, but he was not good enough. Uh, by the way, Josh, the Penguins scored three, one, three, 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 and one goal in the series. Oh, I was right. And you're right. That is not a recipe for success the way they're constructed. Now, Chris Letang was honest about his performance speaking mm. yesterday and about his trouble recovering from neck surgery. And I suspect once he has a full off season to work out and get healthier still, he'll be that much better. Yeah, and that's the Penguins' mindset as well. I really think at this point next— They're, they're not going to trade him, right? Even no, I'd be shocked. I, I mean, I, I don't want to say he's untouchable. If they were presented an offer that blew them away, maybe they would consider it, yes. But I, I, they're not looking to trade him. Absolutely not. And regarding Chris, I think at this point next year, we will know all we need to know about Chris. If he's a player in decline or if he's a player who you know really couldn't work out for an entire offseason and, and it completely threw him off. I suspect that's the case. Uh, have we seen him play his best hockey? Maybe. He is 31 years old. Well, I think he needs to simplify his game. I think if oh. he becomes 
primarily defensive and lets the offense come organically, I think he can can have another chapter that's maybe not quite as good individually, but very effective. That's always what Mike Sullivan says. I was talking with Sullivan last summer, and he told me when Latang plays a simple game, he's one of the three best defensemen in hockey. He really believes that. And you can see why. He's still a great skater. Um, you know, Chris was really open yesterday about how hard last summer was for him. He said he sat in his house all summer and did nothing. If anybody knows anything about Chris Latang, um, you know, he's a workout monster. That's all he does. So much of his game is predicated on skating. Um, it was a challenge. There's no question. And I think, given the player he's been for the last decade, Mark, I think Latang does deserve the benefit of the doubt here. Um, he did not have a good season. We cannot sugarcoat that. And third period of game five was unacceptable. That was really bad stuff. But he has been through a lot, no question. And I'm curious to see how he looks in October. I suspect he will look like a much better hockey player. We're talking to Josh Shelley from TheAthletic.com. He's brought to you by the Orthopedic Institute at Monongahela Valley Hospital. Okay, who was hurt and who wasn't? And how bad were the ones hurt, hurt? Well... Let's just start with the fun one, Phil Kessel. Um, Mike Sullivan and Jim Rutherford had slightly different things to say about Phil. <laughs> well, diametrically opposed is a better way to put it. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, you know, Jim said, you know, I give Phil a lot of credit. He played through a lot of injuries. And Mike Sullivan uh, made it very clear that Phil's injuries weren't that significant. Uh, he was banged up. There's no question. Um, I do think he hurt his shoulder in Raleigh in February. He took the slash from Galchenyuk on March 31st. Uh, I do think he hurt his hand there. How hurt was Phil? I don't know. But uh, it's hard for me to believe that he was anywhere close to 100%. And I can tell you, Derek... Should, for... should he have taken time off and, and flushed his consecutive game streak to try to get healthier for the playoffs? Probably. but the team feels that way? Yes. I, I think certain people in the organization feel that way. However, when you look at, at the final standings, look at how close the Penguins came to missing the playoffs, Mark. Phil Kessel scored that huge goal in Columbus, second-to-last game of the regular season. So he did have some moments down the stretch that did help them make the playoffs. So you can certainly look at it from that point of view. But sure, he was banged up. Um, Derek Broussard is the one, and he admitted he was hurt. And I have it on pretty good authority. It was a groin injury that he was dealing with. Josh, the people out there would not understand that because they don't have groins. <laughs> well, that's neither here nor there, Mark, but I don't want to get into that. But uh, <laughs> Derek Broussard... The great, the great Bret Hart said that. Yes, he did. So it's got to be true. Obviously. Best there ever was. But anyway, Derek Broussard was not is, the best. Ever will be. And Derek Broussard was not those things for the Penguins. I think he had four goals in 26 games uh, after the trade. Not good enough. Broussard did make a point, though, and if you look the numbers back this up, he played really well for about a week before he got hurt in Detroit at the end of March. He was never the same after then. So, again, when he's healthy, maybe he will be a much different player next fall. But there's no question, he, he did not make the impact the Penguins were hoping for. What will his role be next year? Will he be the third-line center or a top-six winger? I think they really want him to be a center. Um, I, I, I think they would consider the other, though. I think center's their first preference. I don't think they're ruling the other out. Correct. And Riley Sheehan is a restricted free agent. He'll be back. They really like him. And you can see why. I think Sheehan is a perfectly competent third-line center and a really good fourth-line center. So he gives them some flexibility. Well, he, he's like very Colin-esque in that if somebody gets hurt, he can move up and help. Yes. Temporarily. He very is. temporarily. Correct. Uh, Broussard is interesting. He is skilled enough to play wing with Crosby or Malkin and produce 20-plus goals. Absolutely. Um, the Penguins are still kind of infatuated with the idea of him being their third-line center, however. So I think that is what Mike Sullivan wants. In fact, he went out of his way yesterday to say, you know, center is a position we take very seriously. And, you know, we think it's very important is what he said, kind of tongue-in-cheek. We don't but... care about wing at all. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think he will start the season at center. And 
he'll have to figure out how to play with Phil because I still think they want Phil on the third line. Um, I don't think Phil wants that. I think Phil wants to play with Malkin, incidentally, and I can see why. But um, they're going to have to figure that out, and Broussard is a very gifted player. I suspect he will produce. Um, let's see what he does when he's healthy. Uh, I think they need a defenseman, maybe even a couple, and I think they need to get rid of Hunwick. What's your take there? Not because Hunwick is that bad, although he wasn't good. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they trust him, period. I agree, and he makes too much money. He makes two and a quarter million. If, yeah, that's, that's too much. Uh, Ruedel, they ultimately want to be their number seven defenseman. That's what he is. And he's not a bad one, but that that's what he is. He probably got overexposed a little bit in the playoffs. Yes. Um, so when you look at the blue line, they are very much set on the left side with Dumoulin, Mata, and Alexiak. That's excellent. You got Latang and Schultz on the right side. Great. Ideally, they would like a right-handed defenseman to slot in with Alexiak. And the thing about him, you know, he can play the right side. He played the right side very well when he was with Ian Cole for a stretch. So they could also get a left-handed defenseman. Those are a little more cheap to get, certainly. Easier to get, certainly. Yeah, they are. Yeah, right. They are. But the main priority this offseason is to get one more defenseman, move Ruedel back to number seven, get Hunwick out. And Hunwick's a great guy, by the way. I have a lot of respect for him and just the guy that he is. He he came out and talked to the media yesterday, which he certainly didn't have to do after the year he he went through. Classy guy, but he just makes too much money if he's not going to play. Do they have to change their style a bit? Because if not, they need to get more speed. I thought the league caught up to them a little bit in terms of speed, and I thought they slowed down just a smidge. There were even a couple of teams that were noticeably faster than the Penguins this season. New Jersey. New Jersey and Toronto are the two that come to mind for me. Just just in person watching, you could absolutely see it. And that's obviously wasn't something that was the case in 2016. So, yeah, uh, they need to, in my opinion change their style a little bit. You can't just keep getting fast player after fast player. You're going to insert Sprong and Aston Reese into the lineup on a more regular basis next year. Those guys bring a lot of attributes. Speed really isn't one of them, so I don't see the Penguins getting that much faster. Carl Hagelin only has one more year left on his deal. He might be gone after the next year. So, yeah, they need to change up things a little bit regarding how they play the game. It's fun to watch, Mark, but there's just a, a almost a carelessness to the way they play, the way they pinch, a predictability too, and the way they pinch their defensemen. You and I always look at each other in the press box every time they do Yikes. it, which is about ten times a period. <laughs> like you know, it's just not sensible at times. And so, yeah, you put it all together. They need to make some minor changes, both to their, I think, to their roster and to their system. Nothing major. Uh, this team's one good summer and one restful summer away from being one of the top two or three teams in the league. No question. Well, the window's still open, but for how much longer? I think four or five more years, honestly. I think I, I think two for sure. I think there's two more years where they're nailed on Stanley Cup contenders and possibly two more on top of that. That's fair. But two for sure. We don't know how Crosby and Malkin will age into their 30s. Uh, so far, so good. Uh, they both had great seasons. You look at Malkin's regular season, and when you look at what Sid did in the in the postseason, I mean, you, know, you and I were talking with Todd Reardon after the game on Monday night, and I said to Todd Reardon, I said, well, Sid's still the best player in the league, and Reardon looked at me and he said, absolutely. That's the guy who coaches Ovechkin and some other guys. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Sid was magnificent. He's aging very well, so is Malkin. So they have a couple of years at least. And remember, Matt Murray doesn't turn 24 until later this month. I still think he has another level to get to, and he's going to be better in the next couple of years. So the the window's still open for a while. Who's going to win tonight between Nashville and Winnipeg, and who's going to win the Stanley Cup? Well, I will go with Nashville tonight. I picked Nashville in seven, so I will stick with it. And Boy, that's been a really interesting series. But I think they will win at home. 
And as for the cup winner, boy, I'd love to see Vegas do it for, for Flower. It's hard not to cheer for him, but I'll go with Tampa. I just feel like that team has kind of found another level that, that wasn't there for a while, and I really like them against Washington. So I definitely think they make the final. I might go with them. That's Josh Showy. Josh, is always a pleasure. We'll do it again real soon. You got it. I'm Mark Madden. Up next, Bob McLaughlin, 105.9. Ford Wexford. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark, big fan. You get a bunch of dorks, dinks, and twits. Is this Mark Madden? My mouth is watering just talking about it. The X at 105.9. I'm joined now by Bob McLaughlin. Bob brought to you by 84 Lumber. Bob, what's your take on Kessel not talking to the media? I think it's no big deal at all, but some are making it into a big uh, to-do. Um, I can see why it's a talking point. I would rather have him talked, of course. Uh, a lot of questions that people are wondering about, but I do understand uh, why he didn't. I mean, it's look, he's not mandated that he has to talk to the media or explain anything to the people. You know, uh, Jesse Marshall, I think it was from The Athletic, mm-hmm. tweeted that in February, Phil talked to the media, and then at the end he said, that's the last time you're going to hear from me for a while, guys. <laughs> and you could see that happening, right? So he's sticking to his guns. At least he warned us earlier. So we did. <laughs> I, I bet Jen and Jason from Penguins PR, I bet they made a deal. Phil, you talk uh, on a steady basis <laughs> till such and such a date that after that, you can blow it off. And Phil reminded them, you know, hey, if we lose tonight, I'm out. I'm done. I'm gone. I, I just don't have a problem. It, it is. Funny that, that Sullivan said he wasn't hurt and Rutherford said he was. I would like to have had Phil break the tie, but to me it's no big deal. Uh, Kutch is coming back tomorrow night, Bob. What's your prediction for the size of the crowd? I think it's a sellout. Uh, I do. Oh, I would bet. I'll bet you 20 bucks is not a sellout. Uh, all right, I'll take that. I'll there you take go, 20 bucks. You know why? Uh, a couple of different factors. The weather's going to be beautiful tomorrow night, Mark, and we have had such a crap spring up People will go point. boating, Bob. <laughs> no, no and, and not the PNC. No, because uh, they're really cracking down on drinking and boating. Right I'm putting now. up you a can... blockade. Yeah. No, you can. Uh, the weather's going to be nice. It's been so bad up until now. You know, you've got parents where the kids are just screaming for something to do. You've got a reason now that supersedes either your whatever you're pissed off about the at the Pirates about. This him coming back and you being able to clap for him, give him a standing O, you know, Give them some honor. Pirate fans would do that. They will, I mean, they absolutely have that on their list. Do you see Cutch as an all-time great? How far up the totem pole is Andrew McCutcheon with the Pirates? Well, I agree with you. I, I think that he is below Dave Parker, no, Mary, no matter where he is on that list. I would say... Um, well, he's not close to the top five. No, not at all. Bonds, Wagner, Kiner, Clemente, and Stargell. And I think he's probably somewhere... Just 14, after top, 15, 16, somewhere in there. I would have said just after top 10, maybe around 13, something like that. Um, you were rattling off some lists earlier in the show with some callers, and there are people that I forgot about. And then there are some numbers that you talked about. I mean, like the Jason Bay numbers. You no, know, no, the Brian Giles numbers. Well, the Brian Giles Brian Giles led the, the Pirates in everything all time, basically. OPS, OBP, slugging. He is number one all time. Now, true, he played half as many games as Kutch, but he still played a lot of games. You said 700-plus, right? Yes. So he's he's at 700-plus, but still. Um, much, much smaller sample size than a lot of the guys on that list. So, yeah, I would put Kutch. Well, I would Kutch t- above Giles just based on, you know, longevity and impact. But, I would put, but, I would put yeah. It is funny, Bob, that we're taught that the numbers in baseball are sacrosanct, and then we do ignore Brian Giles's. 
because we never hear anybody talk about Giles' numbers when it comes to all-time Pirates. Am I right? Well, I had to cover Brian Giles when I was, you know, a neophyte in this what business. What a jerk. He was absolutely one of the worst ones. And I mean, Bob, Bob, he had every sign of steroid abuse. Oh, yeah. The squared-off jaw, the, the temper. The squared-off forehead because he chewed gum. His nipples were pointy like spikes. I never saw the... I kind of liked it. <laughs> I never saw the pointy nipples, but... I just remember it. You that could t- see him through his uniform. <laughs> well, that's the they had the air conditioning turned down. Um, <laughs> yeah, the thing is, and, is and the most, Diana ball turned up. Right, there were the interns back when we had interns, and we had to cover the game. We had to take a microphone down there all the time, and part of it was just getting sound for all of the stations here. And it was like, okay, who wants to do Pirates tonight? Nobody, because of that group of pirates at the time. Right, it wasn't even that they sucked. It was everything else was cool as an intern. Oh my uh, God! Hey, we get to go. All of them, like like, there's never been a more despicable group of people assembled in any Pittsburgh athletic locker room. Let let me count the ways. Giles, and he wasn't even close to the worst. Jason Kendall was a jerk. Williams, Mike Williams was a jerk. Ed Sprague was the worst ever. They used to tell Lloyd McClendon to shut the. F up and get out of their clubhouse. I they thought, had the shrine to Pat Mears because they thought management screwed him. Remember? They hung his jersey oh yeah, in his locker. It was a huge middle finger to them at that time. In my book, from covering them, from being down there, and from hearing other horror stories of people that had to cover them at that time, I thought Williams was the worst. You know I who thought- the catalyst was? You know who made him that way? Ed Sprague. He came in from Milwaukee and he said, hey, Never give the rookies an even break because they're trying to take your job and the media sucks. I wouldn't doubt that at all. And they all took to it. Uh, I said today that Pitt should never talk to Penn State about playing in football again. That Penn State's trying to make Pitt its bitch in that regard. And Penn State doesn't need that rivalry, Mm -hmm. doesn't need that game. And therefore, they're never going to give Pitt an even break. For a long time, I would have scoffed at that, Mark. I would have been like upset at that notion. Now uh, I have moved on, and I know a lot of Pitt fans also. Sure, Penn State can say the same thing. That's fine. They've moved on from it. It's been too long now. It doesn't mean anything, and you just get into these stupid arguments about who should play who. If they, You don't need the state legislator to write a law to make them play. If Penn State doesn't want to play Pitt, Pitt can find another worthy opponent. They can reestablish, you know, the rivalry with West Virginia, which would be absolutely fine. I, I think that, that I think that would be a bigger rivalry than Penn State ever was within five or ten years because it was a big rivalry in the first place. And Pitt needs the game more than West Virginia, but I think West Virginia needs the game as well. Not as bad, but also does need it. I don't think any Big 12 opponent has really caught on as a rival with West Virginia. Do you? No, not at all. And what they've done there, I mean, with all of these... It's a good league. It it is a good league. But what they've done with these leagues and where they're pulling these teams from and where you don't have any natural rivalries because of location anymore, it's ruining college football. Do I want to play Penn State as a Pitt fan? Absolutely. Do I make it mandatory or do I argue about the point anymore? No, beyond it. You know what I've always wanted college football to do, Bob? I want them to take the top 48 teams and have four 12-team divisions based on geography, and you play every team in your division uh, one time. You know, you alternate home and away from year to year, and then you have a playoff among the four winners at the end of the year, and the runners-up and the third-place teams play in bowl games, and that's it. Mark, familiarity breeds contempt. Part of the reason that Pitt fans hated West Virginia and Penn State so much is because they were so familiar with them. It made college football for a time what it was, and now they're taking it away piece by piece, move by move. 
it's I mean, that hatred kept you interested at some point. It's part of what sports is all about. You have to prove that you're better than that other team, that other fan group. College football doesn't afford that anymore. That's Bob McLaughlin. In just a moment, I'm going to talk about something that occurs every place recreational sports are played, and it really browns me off. 105.9 The X.